I hope you've got your Bibles this morning. Let me encourage you to find 1 Peter chapter number 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, here's our summer series. We're going through first the book of 1 Peter, and we're learning so much as Peter is instructing us, number one, on our salvation. That's the first part of the book, starting in chapter number 1, verse 1, running all the way to chapter 2, verse 10. He talks about our salvation. And then he transitions in chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, and there's a bridge there. That bridge goes over into a topic of submission. And now he's going to be talking about submission, how we are to submit in a culture that's ungodly. How do we submit ourselves to a culture that uh, is anti-God, that's anti-Christian? And here we find ourselves in a humanistic uh, society, uh, secular and humanistic, I might add, and as we see from the Word of God, there's some tremendous insight. Now, I'm, I'm just going to be up front and, I don't, and just tell you, I don't like this section. I wish I could just skip over it. I mean, I really do. I wish I could just, just jump over this part, not even have to deal with it, because uh, uh, like you, I find it to be very, very frustrating. However, there is a purpose for suffering. There is a purpose for suffering. Uh, we find that as we read this Word of God, as we read the text here in just a few moments, if you'll recall last week, Peter had already spoken about how we are to bring our bodies into subjection. We are to bring our bodies into submission, first and foremost, to Jesus Christ. That's encouraged man. Praise God. We love that. Then number two, the second thing he said is, look, not only that, but you've got to bring your bodies under submission in regards to the authorities that are over your life concerning government and culture. And unless they're telling you, unless they're telling you it's contrary to the Word of God, if there's conflict between what the government says and what the Word of God says, you always go with the Word of God. But you've got to submit yourselves under the leadership that God has ordained in regards to government. And now he's going to take it a step further. He's talked about ourselves personally. He's talked about God, uh, government. Now he's going to be talking about your job. He's going to talk about submitting yourselves to your boss. He's going to use language talking about servants or slaves. And, and here's where the rub is. Uh, I wish more than anything that the Word of God just spoke ab abolishment against slavery. But we find in the context of when Peter and Paul, when they were writing, when they were writing this text under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, the Roman Empire, especially, slavery was a status-driven uh, program, not a race-based program. As a matter of fact, one was born a slave. Prisoners of war became slaves. Unpaid debt also caused people to be slaves. Others were sold into slavery because they were kidnapped. And being a slave did not mean you were doomed to a miserable life. In this culture, many slaves or many servants were more educated than their masters. And they were professionals. And some even some slaves even had other slaves under them. In the Greco-Roman world, slavery was not a permanent status. A slave could buy his freedom. Uh, but none of these perks changed the nature of their status. Once a slave, always a slave. Now, when Peter's going to use this term, he's going to use the term uh, servant. I'm going to be reading from the King James. And as he's using this term servant, he's not talking about the typical word for slave, which was bondservant. He's using a term that means household servant, a household slave. 
In contrast to servants who worked in the fields or mines, some have served household masters, and it may seem to be a more preferable role. However, in many instances, it was not. Uh, Servants who worked in the mines did not deal directly with the master very often, and household slaves lived under the rule of thumb when it came to their masters, and some of their masters were very cruel. Peter instructs these uh, elect exiles, these born-again Christians that were living in this culture, uh, how they are to live against their unjust masters, especially those that mistreat them. Paul's letter always seems to address servants and masters. Paul wrote and taught Christians how they are to teach one another and how they're to treat one another and how they're to love one another regardless of their social status. Peter, on the other hand, when he wrote to teach Christians how to live in a hostile society, he does not give instructions to masters. He only gives instructions to servants and how a servant is to treat those that are in authority over them. Again, I wish the New Testament rebuked the institution of slavery or called for its uh, uh, abolishment, but it does not. The apostle wrote to new Christians, and he wrote to young churches. And he did not write from a perspective of social reform, or he did not write as a revolutionary. He wrote as a pastor, a teacher, and an evangelist. And it was not the goal to overthrow the cultural system. They sought to teach believers how to live for Christ within the cultural system. And by doing so, in the New Testament, you see them undermine the cultural system. And as they do so, we see that it ended Roman slavery. It ended the Roman Empire. But before it ever ended, Peter writes in our text to remind the saints of Jesus Christ how we are to work in in our jobs. What does it mean to serve the Lord in your jobs? Now, when you look at the text, it's obvious that I'm uh, bringing some culture here into the text. I'm I'm doing everything in my uh, power to make this text culturally relevant. We have abolished slavery in the United States, praise the Lord. But as a born-again child of God, we recognize that we are under authority. We also recognize that we have jobs. And so to culturalize this passage of Scripture, it is very simple to look at it and say, okay, this is talking about work, it's talking about job. That's how we can apply this text to our lives today. I remember a story about a young man who went for a job interview And as he went to the job interview, the boss looked at him and said, i got a couple of questions for you, sir, before I bring you on and before I hire you. He says, "Uh, yes, please ask me the questions. He says, well, question number one. He said, "Uh, do you smoke? It's very important. I have a smoke-free environment here. I want to make sure our employees don't smoke. Do you smoke? He said, no, sir. Never touched it. Never smoked. Don't, Don't smoke. No, sir. He says, well, let me ask you this. You'll be driving a lot. You'll have a company car. What about alcohol consumption? Do you consume alcohol? He said, no, never touched it. Nope. He says, well, let me ask you a third question. He says, you'll be around a lot of people, and uh, there's families in this organization. I want to make sure that your language is right. right up. What about cussing? Do you cuss? Are you a cusser? He said, no, sir, no, sir. No, sir, don't cuss, never cussed. And he looked at him. He says, oh, I, I see that uh, you don't smoke. 
You, you don't drink and you don't cuss. Do you have any vices at all? Any vices at all? He says, well, yes, sir, I, I do have a real bad one. I got one really bad vice. He says, well, what is it? The young man looked at him and said, I tell lies. We don't need to be telling lies. We need to let our yes be yes, and we need to let our no be no. So in thinking about our yes as yes and our no as no, let's look at this text and see what the Bible says about how we, as born-again children of God, are to work in our jobs. Look at verse number 18. The Scripture says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. I'm reading out of the King James. There's the term froward. Verse 19. For this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience towards God endure grief, suffering wrongfully, for what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently? But if you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto you are called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who did not sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he treated not, but com- or threatened not, but committed himself uh, to, the, to, judge, to, to him that judges righteously. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we're healed. For you were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of the Word of God. It is very plain whenever you read the Scriptures, especially 1 Peter, you see that the social gospel is a lie. The social gospel says if you come to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, there'll be no suffering in your life. There'll be no heartache in in your life. There'll be no pain in your life. Everything will be wonderful. Everything will be great. Prosperity will come your way. God wants you to be prosperous. And on and on and on, the prosperity gospel is just heaping uh, words and words and words. And it has created an atmosphere in our culture where celebrity pastors stand up in such a way and they proclaim 14 ways how to be a good person or how to be a good neighbor, how to do this or how to do this, how to do that. Listen to me, friend. The social gospel is the anti-gospel. The true gospel of Jesus Christ simply says this. Jesus paid the price for all mankind. He hung between heaven and earth, taking your sins and my sins and our sins, placed them upon himself, died on Calvary's cross, and on the third day rose again as the sinless Son of God, victorious over death, hell, and the grave, so that we might be indwelt by the Spirit of God and have a relationship with God the Father and live in such a way that even in difficulty, even in hard times, even in, 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 in awful times, the Holy Spirit will help get us through. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And so this is the true gospel. 
In fact, when you look at these Christians that we find in the Word of God time and time and time and time and time again, you see them suffering for their faith. You see them confronted by their faith. And here we are today, 2022, in the United States of America, where more and more talk is saying, you're the problem. Christians are the problem. I'm telling you, church, suffering is here. It's on the way. I thank God we live in northeast Georgia. We have a buffer between us. But I'm telling you, church, as God is my witness, we must be ready. We must be ready for verbal attacks. We must be ready to stand on our faith. We must be ready to lose our jobs because we love Jesus. And it's hard. It's difficult. It is a struggle. I was listening to uh, some commentary just this week on organizations that are popping up. And there's an organization that's popping up now uh, that, that uh, is doing its dead level best to have Christian values. And, it, and it's almost like a LinkedIn, but it's like a Christian LinkedIn uh, where you can go and put your resume in knowing that the people that are recruiting you in your job uh, are not going to persecute you for your faith. And, and I think that's wonderful. I, I think that's great. Uh, but remember, we are called to be in the world, but not of the world. And being in the world and not of the world means just simply this. We're not holy rollers or Bible thumpers or, 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 or just uh, Jesus freaks or whatever you want to call it. That, that They can label you in whatever you want to be labeled. The bottom line is simply this. We are born again Christians. And I cannot help but speak the things which I've seen and heard. And so Peter is doing his dead-level best to say, look, you're going to live in a culture that's anti-God. It's anti-Christ. You're going to work in a job that may be anti-God or anti-Christ. And so here's how you live. Number one, the first thing he says in verse number 18, that I want you to notice how he talks about the establishment of submission. The establishment of submission in verse number 18. Verse number 18 really teaches us three lessons about Christian submission. Uh, Look at what the text says again in verse number 18. He says there in the text, uh, Servants, be subject to your own masters with all fear, uh, not only to the good and gentle, but also towards the froward. Remember, this is not the first time Peter has said this. He said it once again in 1 Peter chapter 2, up in verse number 13, where he says, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme. Now, remember, we talked about who the, the king was. The king is Nero. Nero is one of the most awful Caesars, one of the most awful leaders of the age. He hates Christians. He's going to persecute Christians. He absolutely despises your faith. And so he's going to persecute in such a way where he's going to kill them. Matter of fact, during the reign of Nero, Peter and Paul both were killed during the reign of Nero. And yet Peter says here in regards to verse 18 that whoever you work for, you should submit yourselves to them, or use the term be subject to your masters. The term be subject means to place under. It was a military term that described the obedience of a soldier to an officer who outranked him. Peter commands servants to submit to their masters willingly. 
This exhortation applies to all believers who are under authority of another. So if you work for a boss, that boss, you are under that boss. And we see that God, being a God of order, has structured this and organized this in such a way. God is a God of order. He's not a God of chaos. Somebody must be in charge. Remember, anything with two heads is a monster, and anything with no head is dead. There has to be leadership. Adrian Rogers once said, You cannot be over the things God wants you to be over until you learn to be under those things that God has set over you. Brothers and sisters, I submit to you today an exhortation, an encouragement. Submit to your boss. Number two. The second thing he says in verse number 18 is not only an exhortation, but we also see the essence of submission. The essence of submission. Look at verse 18 again. He says, servants, be subject to your masters with all fear. I'd underline that word fear. The word fear here is a simple term that means respect. We are to respect those that are over us. It's translated that way throughout 1 Peter. Every time you see the word fear in 1 Peter, it's translated respect. It is giving us the definition of respect, having a respect for someone, a willing subjection, if you would, to others as a result of reverence to God. As we reverence God, we respect those in authority over us. Submission has nothing to do with the person. It has everything to do with your relationship with God. Because I worship and serve God, being in a job where I have a boss, if I'm going to work as unto the Lord, then I need to submit myself to the authority of my boss. If my boss says, I want you here at 8 o'clock, you need to be there on time. If your boss says you take a 30-minute lunch, don't take a 45-minute lunch. Uh, if your boss says uh, that I need you to come in early or I need to come in late, you need to be obedient to your boss. You need to respect your boss. Why? Because you work as unto the Lord as a born-again child of God. It should not be said of a Christian that they're late all the time. They're habitually late. It should not be said of a Christian that they are habitually in trouble, that they're always trying to get out way early, or they're always trying to do, do something that's, uh, that's, that's under the radar. It, all, it must always be that as a born-again child of God, we work as unto the Lord. So he says here in the text that it's very important that in the essence of submission, you respect that one that's over you. And then number three, you see the extent of the submission. Here's where it gets difficult, verse 18. Notice what the text says. The scripture says, not only to those, to the good, to those that do good and are gentle, but also to the froward. Uh, the word froward there means those that are hard to live with. It, it is an interesting word. It's a term that means to be bent or to be crooked. It's where we get our medical term, scoliosis. It means to have a curvature to it. Uh, we are to submit to those who are morally crooked. We must not obey any of their commands to sin, but the character of the master must be uh, 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 the character of the master must not be an excuse to disobey. You have options. You have options. You can leave that job. You can say, I'm done with this. I'm not going to work here anymore. And you can leave where you're at. 
This is something that these people did not have the opportunity to do. These servants did not have the option of leaving and going to another job. They were stuck in this situation. We have options today. You don't like your boss? You don't like the direction the company's going? You don't like who you're working for? Then you can resign and you can get another job. But if you are going to stay, if you're going to stay, then you need to have an attitude of respect to those that are in authority. You can quit and go work for somewhere else. You can also report illegal, immoral, and unethical behavior. It is not God's will for you to work there and have a rebellious attitude to those that, that are in authority. God wants us to be a witness for Jesus Christ. And for some of you, some, some of you may be in a job where you say, you know what, I really, I have to resign and I've got to get another job. I've got to do something else. That is perfectly Fine, but remember this, wherever you land to work, wherever you land to work, you have got to be a witness for Jesus Christ. Uh, we're living in a culture right now where everywhere you turn around, people are hiring left and right and left and right. They need good, godly Christian people to be in there and to be a witness for Jesus Christ. When you think about the extent of submission... If your boss is someone that you cannot live with, you have the option to quit. If they're doing something unethical, if they're doing something immoral, you have the responsibility to report. But if you're going to continue to work there, and they're not, it's not illegal, and it's not unethical, and they're just a hard boss, you are required as a born-again child of God to respect their authority. And to respect their position. And to work as unto the Lord. This is the establishment of submission. Number two. There's a second thing I want you to notice in verses 19 and 20. I want you to see the endurance of injustice. The endurance of injustice. Now remember, they, these people that uh, Peter's writing to, they did not have the option to leave their jobs. Didn't have that option. They had to stay right there in their, in their situation. They had to, to do it. They could not leave. And so he's going to speak to them regarding the endurance of their injustice. When you look at the Word of God, you'll see there's a lot of stories about injustice. Uh, one that comes to my mind uh, uh, prominently is the story of Joseph. Joseph in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 39, Joseph is a story of injustice. <clears throat> His brothers wronged him. Potiphar's wife wronged him. Potiphar's cupbearer wronged him. Uh, Genesis does not dwell on the injustice that Joseph endured. But what it does is it traces how the Lord was with Joseph through every trial, every situation, every difficulty. It shows us how does a Christian live when the world is unfair. Wednesday night we were talking about Daniel and Daniel's dream and we were just talking about uh, Daniel chapter 7 in our Bible study and had a wonderful time, wonderful time. And when you look at the 83 years that Daniel lived and you see how he was brought into that captivity as a, just as a child. And for 83 years he lived with injustice. For 83 years he lived with difficulty. And yet we see it mentioned throughout the course of Daniel's life just like Joseph's life. But you see how they lived in the midst of a crooked generation. 
Brothers and sisters, I submit to you today, we too are living in a crooked generation. It's a difficult thing. It is hard today. But friend, I submit to you, in regards to the endurance of injustice, God sees it and they are not getting away scot-free. Mind you, the Bible says we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Therefore, in knowing that we must all stand, we must do everything in our power as born-again children of God, under the leadership and power of the Holy Spirit of God, to have the mind of Christ in whatever job that we're in. Work as we are working unto the Lord. In regards to the essence or the endurance of injustice in verse 19 and 20, there are two things that are worthy of our attention. Number one, the first thing I want you to see is the mindset God favors. The mindset God favors. Verse 19, the Bible says this. The scripture says uh, that for this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience towards God endureth grief and suffering wrongfully. In this text we see that Peter shifts from the duty of our submission and begins to wrestle with the difficulties of serving an unjust boss. And he uses two terms to describe the effects of working for an oppressive boss. He says it brings grief and it also brings suffering. The word term grief there means sorrow. He says there are some that go to work and you have this tremendous sorrow. Or there's some that go to work and you have this tremendous suffering. You may work at a place where you suffer mistreatment. And it causes you stress. Uh, there's a struggle and there's sadness. Peter does not say... Run away from it. Peter says, again, as long as it's not immoral, as long as it's not illegal, Peter says, endure it. This doesn't mean that you ought to be a glutton for punishment. This doesn't mean that you ought to suffer in silence. And it also doesn't say you shouldn't address the situation. It means your job is about your sanctification more than it is about your salary. It's about being a witness for Jesus Christ more than it is about getting that paycheck. It's about showing Jesus in the, work, in the workplace. Could God be using your workplace as a classroom to teach you to endure? If you endure sorrow while suffering unjustly, the Bible says it is a gracious thing. To live and to serve in such a commendable way, you must be mindful of, of God. You think about Potiphar's wife. Remember, Potiphar's wife, when it came to Joseph, he, she sexually harassed Joseph in Genesis chapter 39 and verse 9. Joseph, in his job, was sexually harassed. And he said this. He says, how then can I do this great wickedness and this sin against God. We must practice the presence of God to experience the favor of God. We see not only the mindset God favors, but we also see the behavior God favors. Notice what the Bible says in verse number uh, 20. The scripture goes on to say, For what glory is it if, when you be buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently. He says, you, you get in trouble because you've done something dumb. There's no glory in that. But if when you do well and you suffer for it and you take it patiently, 
This is acceptable to God. He is speaking here in regards of our behavior. Your behavior needs to be one of which is honor and pleasing to God. And as it is honoring and pleasing to God, Peter's not downplaying the severity of slavery in the ancient world. He's acknowledge, he acknowledges that masters would beat their slaves. He's acknowledging the fact that it, this is a bad, difficult situation. Thank God it's not that way anymore. Thank God that we've got laws now today that protect us from sexual harassment or other things such as that. In regards to this, we see though that there is a way that we are to respond as born-again children of God. Your behavior matters. How you behave makes a difference. And according to the Word of God, the Bible says in regards to this endurance of injustice, if you want it to be acceptable to God, then you work your job as unto the Lord, and as you work as unto the Lord, if you suffer, God will give you the grace to endure. Uh, through the years, I, I have had uh, good bosses, and I've had bad bosses. Uh, in thinking about the good bosses that I've had, oh, they've been wonderful to work with, and they were Christians. But I've had jobs where I've worked for individuals who were not Christians. They did not know the Lord. And they seemed to be hard taskmasters. Uh, so hard in driving and, and wanting and wanting you to get get things done and, 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 and giving you more to do than you had time to do. And yet working as unto the Lord, being a witness to that lost boss might win them to Jesus Christ. Peter goes on to say in the text, he says, Look, when you're going to endure this injustice, here's the mindset that God favors. He favors the fact that you endure it graciously through the power of the Holy Spirit. And you do so in such a way that it affects your behavior. Not in the negative, but in the positive. Because really, as a born-again Christian, listen to what, what really shows in our lives. Our reactions. Your reactions is what shows. Peter then goes on to say a last thing. The last thing Peter says here in the text, in verses 21 through 25, is he talks about the example of Christ. Here's where we get to the part of the text where we go, okay, I can't ignore this. I see what the Scripture is saying. There are two things in regards to the, to the example of Christ that we see. The first thing I want you to see is our calling. Notice our calling in relationship to the example of Christ. The Bible says in verse number 21, he says, For even hereunto were you called. Peter says you were called to this job, in this regard, into this slavery. You were called into the people that you are working for. Whether they be good or whether they be bad. You were called into this job. You were called to be a minister in this area. Now, now remember what Peter's saying, the overarching theme of this. The overarching theme of 1 Peter is that you are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's special people. The King James says, peculiar people. 
And what Peter says has been given to us as born-again children of God is what God wanted to give to the children of Israel all the way back over in Exodus chapter number 19. If you have your Bibles, turn over to Exodus chapter 19 just so we can be reminded of, of just exactly what Peter's talking about here. Remember, Peter's a Jew. He's writing to the church at Asia Minor, which is a bunch of, of Gentiles. <clears throat> He has told this Gentile church, this Gentile congregation, their royal priesthood. They are a holy nation. They are God's special people. This is exactly what God told Moses regarding the children of Israel. Look at what the Bible says in, verse number nine, in chapter number 19, in verse number 3. The Bible says, And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called out to him on the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel. You have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Remember what happened here? The children of Israel at the Red Sea, they parted, they went through the Red Sea. God took care of them every step of the way. He uses this illustration. It's like you were on eagles' wings. And then look at what he says there in verse number 5. He says, Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, and all the earth is mine. And you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Brothers and sisters, I submit to you this morning, it was God's plan and God's desire that the children of Israel be those kingdom and priests. But what happened? Well, there's a theme in Scripture that you see time and time and time and time and time again until Jesus shows up on the scene. It is the theme of this issue of reoccurring sin from generation to generation. And just as Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, so too the children of Israel sinned there at Mount Sinai. And as they sinned, they would not go up into the mountain. They would not go up. God said, I want you to come up. They would not go up. God said, I'm done with them. I'm going to kill them. And Moses said, remember your covenant. Will you remember your covenant, God? Will you remember that you made a promise? The Bible says that God, being a God who is impassable, He's immutable, He never changes. He's always the same. His righteous anger is perfect. And had He had exercised judgment on that day, it would have been warranted. But he said, I remember my covenant. I will stay true to my word. And the kingdom and priests that I am going to offer is not going to be for the children of Israel alone. It is for whoever comes to the Messiah. Jesus shows up on the scene, goes to Calvary and dies on Calvary's cross, was risen again on the third day. 
The Bible tells us in Acts chapter number 1 that Jesus ascends up into heaven. The first century church begins. And here we find ourselves in modern day Turkey. A Gentile church has begun. It has produced several Gentile churches there in Asia Minor. Peter writes to them a Jew and remembers what God said to Moses and says, You! You are a holy nation. You are a royal priesthood. You are the ones that exercise spiritual rituals, if you would, in presenting our body a living sacrifice unto God. You are the gospel. You carry the gospel. You share the gospel. It is your calling. And you will suffer. Paul picked up on this theme in Philippians chapter 3. Could I call your attention to Philippians chapter 3 very quickly in closing? In Philippians chapter 3, Paul is writing to the church at Philippi. and He's talking about his credentials. He's, he's just simply saying, hey man, if anybody had the credentials to please God concerning a royal priesthood. He said, it was me. I, I, I am the man. Uh, he said, I, have this con- I had this confidence in my flesh. If anybody thought he was better than I was, he was wrong. I was better than anybody. Verse number 4, verse number 5, he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal and passion, persecuting the church, uh, touching the righteous of the law. I was blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung. You underline that word dung. Uh, that's the southern, southern uh, word for doo-doo. He said, that's all my good works are. Look at what he goes on to say here. He says that I may win Christ and be found in Him. Not having my own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness is of God by faith. Verse 10, here's the key. Don't miss this. If you mark in your Bible, I would highlight, underline, put an asterisk by it. This is the key to unlock the mind of Christ. He says that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. Where does that come from? That comes from salvation. The power of the resurrection. And, I wish he hadn't put that conjunction in there, but if you're going to be like Christ, Paul knew, he knew you had to experience this. And the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death if by any means I might obtain into the resurrection of the dead not as though I have already attained uh, either were already perfect but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended 
of Christ Jesus. He simply says this, because I'm a born-again child of God and Jesus Christ has saved my soul, I have experienced the power of His resurrection. I can stand up in places and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, 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 I may, and I may do that, and as I do, I may only be invited one time, but I'm going to do it. Take advantage of the platform that God has given me. But I also know along those same lines that not only do I have the power of the resurrection, I also have the fellowship of His sufferings. I was standing on a corner in the Dominican Republic. I was sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with a Catholic. And this Catholic was dedicated. And he started getting louder and louder, and I started getting louder and louder. And then he said, you were wrong. You were wrong. The sacraments are right, and you were wrong. I said, sir, if you, you're saying I'm wrong, I'm just saying the Word of God. Let, let, let the Word of God speak. God's Word said, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man will come to the Father but by me. Only through Jesus Christ can you enter into the heaven. Not through sacraments, not through your last rites, not through your confession, not through your uh, taking the, the holy sacrament. No, you cannot, the holy Eucharist. This, all of this is null and void unless Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord. It just kept getting louder and louder and louder. And finally, when I really thought it was about to come to blows, I mean it really was. The missionary stepped in between us and, and pushed us aside and said, Shane, go get on the bus. And they talked for a little bit. So why do you tell that story? I tell that story for this reason. Persecution is real. And if we who've experienced the power of the resurrection, if we never experience the fellowship of His suffering. then did we truly trust Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord? Paul says the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. Peter says in the text, again, back in chapter 21, uh, excuse me, not chapter 20, chapter 2, verse 21. Peter says, For even hereunto you were called, you're called. I don't like it when bad things happen to good people. But we see that this is our calling. But not only do we see our calling, but I want you to see His commitment. Look at Jesus' commitment here as I close. I wrap this up, and we need to hurry. Notice what the Bible says here in the latter part of the text, beginning in verse number 22. He says, concerning Jesus Christ, verse 21 at the end, He says, He's our example, and we should follow His steps. Verse 22, who did not sin, neither was there any guile found in His mouth, who when He was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges rightly. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we were healed. For we were a sheep going astray. I love the fact that Jesus looks at these this Gentile church and doesn't call them goats. He calls them sheep. 
He says, you are, she, you are my sheep. And he says, you are now returned unto the shepherd. You see, that word shepherd ought to be capitalized. He's talking about the ultimate shepherd. You've been called, you've been called to your shepherd, Jesus, and bishop of your souls. Who is that? The bishop of your souls? That's a reference to pastors. The Bible says, under God, I'm the watcher. I watch over your soul. I would not be a very good pastor if week after week I didn't stand up here and give our guests that are with us an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as Savior. Now hear me. I'm not ending this service asking you to call me Bishop. That's the last thing on earth we need at Maysville Baptist Church. Bishop Shane walking around. That ain't, that ain't it. Pastor Shane's perfectly fine. It's perfectly fine. But he's talking about those that are faithful in the congregation to come alongside and speak and tell you the truth, even when they don't like it. There's nothing more than this flesh would like more than to tell that boss off. Y'all remember that old country song? I won't mention it. You know it. The bottom line is simply this. As born-again children of God, that should not be in our vocabulary. We ought to work as unto the Lord. If we don't like our job, resign. We have that option. The people in Asia Minor did not. If it's not illegal, immoral, unethical, or ungodly, you ought to hang in your job. And you ought to work as unto the Lord. Because by doing so, you might win that boss to Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we go into this invitation very quickly today, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts. If someone, hears, if someone is here that doesn't know the true pardon of sin, I pray today they would receive you as their Savior. God, I just ask for your uh, anointing now. That you would speak to our hearts regarding this text. Lord, for some of us, we may need to go to you, come to you, repent, and get right with you, and be a better witness at our jobs. For some of us here today, may need to quit our jobs and find a job that we can work in and be a good witness. But Lord, there may be someone here today that has never trusted Christ as Savior. I pray today would be the day they do so. In Jesus' name. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're here today and you'd like to receive Christ as your Savior, I'm going to ask you to do something today. I'm going to ask you to search your heart, see if there was ever a time that you received Jesus as your Savior. Like Paul said, confess your sins, repent, trust Christ as your Savior. If you've never done that today, I want to invite you to do so. You say, preacher, how would I do that? Would you do something like this wherever you're at? From your heart to God, would you say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that you are the Messiah. And this morning, I repent of my sins, and I trust you as my Savior. Thank you for saving me. I'll live for you. In Jesus' name.